called Power Tools, uh, where we are discovering the different things that God has given to us that provide power in the life of the believer. Power is good. Power helps us get the job done quicker. It helps us get the job done more efficiently, more effectively, right? And so we want to operate in power. Just in review, the first week, we talked about the power of agreement. The power of agreement. And, and it, it, we, we saw that there is a spiritual law that when two or more believers agree together in prayer, it is more powerful than if just one person prays. Now, again, one person praying is wonderful. You need to pray. But two or three gathered in, in Jesus' name is even more powerful. But i got a problem with you guys. Because y'all have been using this against me. Twice now, one time in the dunking booth, I was undunkable. And then someone said, y'all agree with me in prayer. And then he knocked me in the dunking booth, okay? Secondly, at the men's conference last weekend, which we had a blast, by the way. It was awesome. At the men's conference, um, we, were playing, <laughs> we were playing cornhole. You know, it's where you throw little bags into the, the wooden hole thing. And we were having a blast. It's way more fun than it sounds. We were having a blast. And uh, I was playing against, we were neck and neck. We were in like the, the next to semifinals. You know, we're, we're ready. And I started talking trash. I do it sometimes. Just not all the time. But I do. And so the person I was competing against said, hey, everybody, let's agree together that I'm going to get it. And the dude throws it right in the hole. Okay? You guys cannot use my sermons against me. Okay? I forbid you. I forbid you from this point forward. But uh, the power of agreement, it's, uh, it's a real thing, and it is powerful. I encourage you to practice that. We also talked about power in the name of Jesus. That was on Mother's Day. And this is when you do things in Jesus' name, you're taking on his purpose and operating under his influence and his authority. It's not just tacking Jesus' name onto the end of your prayer. It's actually operating under his influence, operating under his powers when you do things in Jesus' name. And, and you guys know the power of the name? Uh, a name is very powerful. Can I share a, a, a funny story with you guys? Um, Tiffany and I were dating still. We lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and um, it was Valentine's Day. And as every good boyfriend or fiance, I don't remember at the time what I was. But uh, at that point, uh, you know, I'd forgotten that it was Valentine's Day. Bad mistake, right? And I hadn't gotten her anything. And you guys know you got to get you got to get your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever. you got to get them something for Valentine's Day because those flower companies have to make their money. So I hopped in the car. I had a buddy in the car with me. And I start flying to the nearest grocery store to get some, some, uh, some flowers so uh, I have something for her when she gets off of work. Well, I was going a little too fast. And so a police officer pulled me over, and I'm like, oh, no, this is just what I need. Great. So I pull over. Uh, I pull, I'm, I'm like, I don't know about you guys. Every time I've ever gotten pulled over, I was like literally 100 feet from the place I was going. Like it's never, it's always like really inconvenient. And so I'm in the parking lot, and, and the cop comes to the window. He says, license and registration. And, and I, so I give it to him. And then uh, he looks at my last name, and he says, Nunley. Nunley. Now, this is in Birmingham. There are no Nunleys from Birmingham, okay? There's some in Tuscaloosa, some in other areas. He goes, Nunley. He goes, are you related to the Nunleys in Gadsden, Alabama? Now, I need to let you know, and I'm not proud of this. <laughs> I'm not related to the Nunleys in Gadsden, Alabama. Maybe I am, but I've never met them. Don't, they're not, okay? 
But I say yes. And then, and this is, this is where this story gets really impressive. Then I said, yeah, Bob Nunley. And he goes, yeah, Bob Nunley in Gadsden, Alabama. I guessed the right Nunley. And he lets me off because his wife's maiden name was Nunley. I was like, dude, we're related, man. Come on. <laughs> so I didn't get a ticket because there is power in the name of Bob. Okay. In that specific instance, there was power in the name of Bob because operating under his influence, I got off of the ticket. So I don't recommend lying to police officers. It was, I was young, um, and <laughs> but I can't believe to this day I actually guessed the name of the guy he knew. Um, so anyway, there's power in the name of Jesus. We learned last week, <laughs> uh, we, we learned Cynthia spoke, and she talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that uh, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. But when we were baptized in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit becomes upon us. And uh, I, absolutely, I went back and watched the video, and I absolutely loved watching Cynthia pour water on her husband. That was awesome. If you missed that, um, you, can, you can see it on, online. As a matter of fact, all of our sermons, the CDs are available in the Welcome Center. And then online, you can see the video, and you can also get the podcast. So that way the Word stays in you all week. Amen? I tell you, you know, um, it, it's, it, it is hard to stay filled up throughout the week, isn't it? It's hard. It doesn't matter if you're a full-time minister or if you're an accountant. It's hard to stay filled up with the Word. You've got to be purposeful and intentional about listening to the Word. Look, when my, when my car is cranked up, there's scripture going usually. There's a sermon going. There's, there's something going. You've got to be intentional. You're not going to wake up one morning and just have all your scripture memorized. It doesn't work that way. You have to make decisions, okay, that lead to you being full of the Word. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we are going to talk about power and weakness. Huh. Power and weakness. Those two things seem like opposite things, don't they? Power and weakness. But there, there, is, a, there is a reality, and that is that when we are weak, God is strong. When we are weak... God is strong, and this is a spiritual reality, and so we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, I have up uh, behind me 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, and I'm going to read this to you um, in just a moment, but before I do, I want you to understand what, what we mean by this. Now, we've been looking at different tools uh, all this week, and I have a tool right here. I've got, this is a hacksaw, all right? So has, has anyone ever used one of these? Yeah, I can use one of these for about 30 seconds to a minute. And then my shoulder wants to fall off, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've ever used one, it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to saw this thing. And it doesn't take long before you are really tired of sawing, okay? It gets the job done, but it's a lot of work, okay? I also have down here, this is a skill saw. Now, this is awesome, and you can see I'll try not to cut myself. It's got a nice little circular blade here, okay? And so all you got to do with this is pull the trigger, Right? That's all you got to do. And it's amazing. If, now think about this. When power gets involved, you get to rest. Think about it. Think about how much more powerful an electric saw like this is versus the manual saw. But you have to work so much harder to make the manual saw work than to get the power tool to work. When you're using the manual saw, you're just using all your strength, all your muscles 
But when you're using the power tool, you just press a button. And that's, that's what it's like. When you allow the Lord to get into your life, you're going to find yourself that you don't have to strain as much. You, you, so, someone could be in, in, uh, in a less healthy state and use a power tool better than they can a manual tool. Are, are you with me? So there is power found in weakness. God works when you rest. God works when you rest. And we're going we're gonna to flesh this out in a minute. But let's, let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. I'm reading this in the New Living Translation. Now, just so you know, this is the Apostle Paul talking. Now, he starts out and he says, I received such wonderful revelations from God. Now, just so you know, Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle. He was one of the original people that helped begin to spread the gospel, okay, in the early days of the church. But he was not one of the original 12. As a matter of fact, his, his experience with the Lord Jesus was not when Jesus was having his earthly ministry, like, like Peter, James, and, and John, and those. His experience with Jesus came after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he had this encounter on the road to Damascus, and, uh, and that's where he met Jesus the first time. So he didn't have firsthand knowledge of, of Jesus' teaching. There was no internet. Peter didn't have a blog that Paul could go listen to and get good doctrine from. So Paul, and I'll get this, I need you to get this. Paul, everything Paul knew about God, he learned directly from God himself. Think about that. Because he didn't walk the planet with Jesus. He, he got it all from time spent. As a matter of fact, when Paul first got saved, and you can read about this in the beginning of Galatians and some in, in Acts as well, he actually spent years before he began his own ministry, and he got close to the Lord, and the Lord, gave, by supernatural revelation, told him about the good news of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? When Paul, Paul was so bad when he was first saved, they didn't even want him in the church because he was known for persecuting Christians. So... That's when he says, I have received such wonderful revelations from God, that's what he means. He means, hey, look, everything that you guys learn by being with Jesus, I learned with Jesus not on the earth. I learned the same stuff. That's why when you hear him talk about communion, for I receive from the Lord that which I give to you on the night Jesus was betrayed. See, he wasn't there when Jesus was betrayed, but the Holy Spirit told him about it. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. That's amazing. So he did receive some pretty awesome revelations. We keep reading. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you may have heard a sermon on Paul's thorn in the flesh, and, and I, I'm, we're not going to get into that. Some people think that, that Paul was uh, afflicted with some sort of sickness and, and that that was what happened to him because he was humble. I personally don't believe that uh, because Paul talks a lot about his weaknesses all through Scripture, and it's not sickness, it's persecution. 
The thing that, that drives Paul up the wall all throughout the New Testament, he's very honest about it, is persecution. He's thrown in jail. He's shipwrecked. He's stoned. At one point in Iconium, he is stoned and left for dead because you don't stop stoning pers- a person until you think they're dead. Okay? He gets up. He's either resurrected because he died or he's supernaturally healed. The next day, he walks to a town 20 miles away. Okay? And so he went through all kinds of craziness, all right? He, he had a group of people called the Judaizers. He would start a church, preach the grace of God, belief in Jesus Christ is how you get saved. Then he would leave to start another church, and the Judaizers would come in. These were people that said, no, 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 Paul was wrong. You can't just believe in Jesus. You have to convert to Judaism. Then you can believe in Jesus. And he hated those guys, He hated them. He had some very funny things to say about them as well, which we won't get into this morning. But but Paul suffered immense, incredible persecution. That was the thorn in his flesh. It says it was a messenger from Satan. It defines what it was. So people, what's Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, he says it's a messenger from Satan to torment me. (laughs) To torment me. Okay, And then when he talks about his weaknesses, he actually defines them. He says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles. So see, Paul, even though he was doing amazing work in the kingdom, even though he was getting a lot done, he dealt, he dealt with severe, severe weakness in himself. There were times that, that what he would spend years in the community, and just like that, as soon as he left... That church would be on the rocks immediately because religious people would come in and mess with them. It drove him crazy. It drove him crazy. But the scripture says that my grace, he, he, it's, it's funny. He, he prays to the Lord three times. I don't know why it's three times. Like I would keep praying, but he says three times I've asked the Lord, hey, I need you to deal with this. And then finally the Lord said, my grace is sufficient and my power works best in weakness. My power works best in weakness. And so Paul learned to have an attitude shift. Instead of his whole Christian walk being, all right, make me strong, make me strong, make me strong, make me strong, he realized, oh, if I want to see miracles, if I want to see power, if I want to see God move, make me weak, make me weak, make me weak, make me weak. Do you see? He had a mentality shift. So I want to walk you through really quickly three things to know about the power of weakness. Three things about the power of weakness. The first one is this. Your weaknesses are meant to lead you to the Spirit of God. Your weaknesses, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, those things where you think, I just don't possess within myself the capability of doing this. Okay, You're in an excellent position at that point to see the Spirit of God move in your life. Zechariah 4, 6, you've probably heard this before. It says, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Just, just so you know, just, I like giving you t- context. Zerubbabel was commissioned by the Lord to rebuild the temple. Okay? The Jews had been in exile. They'd been, they'd been kicked out of their place in, in, in Babylon. They were not allowed to do all the sacrifices and worship that they were supposed to do. And so they're finally let go. And so um, the Lord speaks to Zerubbabel and says, I want you to rebuild the temple, which is not like rebuilding a small church or something. I mean, it's a massive undertaking, okay? Huge. No one could possibly do that on their own. Just the workforce, the materials, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was ridiculous. And so... 
Through the prophet Zechariah, the Lord is speaking, and he says, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It's not by might nor by power. The New Living says it's not by force or by your own strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit, says the Lord. So when you have weaknesses in your life, when you have areas in your life, maybe you've got a sin that's just regularly over and over, something that you deal with. Look, the Lord wants to deliver you from that. But in the meantime, don't, act, don't cover it up. Don't act like, hey, I'm, I'm God's man of faith and power. <laughs> and everything's perfect. No, no, no. Be like Paul and say, hey, this is a weakness. And I'm using this weakness as an opportunity to come in contact with the Spirit of God. Because when I am weak, He is strong. Amen? Amen. See, your weakness, your weakness draws you to the Lord. Now, many times we let our weaknesses take us away from the Lord, right? Many times we think, well, I could never be a Christian like so-and-so. That person I sit in front of, they know all the lyrics to the songs and, and they sing them and I just don't know. And I think they've been going to that church for a long time. Look, 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 look. In your weakness, you will see the Spirit of God. If you run to Him. So many times when you go through trauma, when you go through issues in your life, and, and this is really important, you are going to have a choice to run to God or run from God. When bad things happen in this, in this world, when things don't work out the way that you want them to, you will have a choice. You can run to God or you can run from God. It's a choice that I can't make for you. It's a choice that you have to make for yourself. But I promise you, I promise you, if you will run to God in the midst of your weaknesses, you will see the Spirit of God in action. Amen? So the second thing I want you to know about the power of weakness is that your flesh likes to be strong. This is going to be a battle. This is going to be a battle. Your pride that we all have is going to fight this concept of being weak on purpose. I mean, we see this in all sorts of situations. I like to be strong, right? I like to, be, I like to not need anyone else's help. You know, I like to, have you ever known someone that you tell them something, they're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know, I, know. I knew that, yeah. No, you didn't, dude, just be honest, you don't have to know everything. I'll still be your friend if you don't know everything. All right? All right? But this is demonstrated. I was thinking about how do we, you know, to me, this is demonstrated in my life when it's time to unload the groceries from the car. I want to be the one trip wonder. You know what I'm talking about? You've got all these grocery bags in the back of your car, or the trunk of your car, or whatever. And so you're like, I can get this, this, this. And you end up like with bags on bags all up on your arms. And you're like, hey, man, yeah, one trip. And you're walking in because, God forbid, you make two trips from the car to the kitchen. That just would that be ungodly. So you've got, your, you've got your groceries and you're carrying them. And then you boom, put them on top of the counter, right? So does anyone else do this? Am I the only one? Okay, that's what, okay I'm just making sure. I'm making sure I'm talking to the right people. Our flesh likes to be strong. We like to do it ourselves. We like to be in charge. We like to not need help from anyone else. And we like to say, look what I have done. (laughs) The problem is, that's your flesh. Now, when I say flesh, I want to remind you. You are a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And you have both a fleshly, carnal nature, is what the Bible calls it. And you have also a spiritual nature. 
I'll just let me explain this really quickly. When you are a believer, your spirit is remade. You are joined with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit makes his home inside of you. And he begins to work on you and say, hey, you want to live this way. You want to do these things. This is the right way to live. It's called your spirit. It's your spiritual nature. It's your godly nature, okay? But you also, at the same time, working against your spiritual nature, you have a carnal or a fleshly nature. Your carnal, fleshly nature just wants to do what feels good all the time. It wants to do what makes you feel good, all right? It wants to eat ice cream all the time. It doesn't want to go work out, right? Yeah, some of y'all are like, stop it, <laughs> right? It doesn't want to serve someone else that wants to be served. See, your spirit, your spirit wants to serve because that's what your dad does. He serves. Jesus came to serve. That's what scripture says. But then your flesh wants to be served, so if, if many times you see, you see that you're in a fight with yourself, it's because you have two natures at war within yourself. But So your flesh likes to be strong. Your flesh likes to be independent. Your flesh, your carnal nature, wants to not need anything from anyone. But the problem is, is you do need something from someone. You need salvation. You need a savior. Our own works can't get us there. We, we have to have godly intervention in our lives. So we need to understand when we're talking about being weak, your flesh likes to be strong. This is going to be a battle. Look at Mark chapter 2, 16 and 17. Jesus is hanging out with a few disreputable sinners, to put it mildly. Verse 16, when the teachers of the religious law, who were the Pharisees, Saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? You want to know when you're religious? You want to know when you're out of the will of God? When you begin to look at other people as scum. Even if they don't... What, what, but these people, they want to vote for this person. They're terrible. You're being religious. Because you're elevating the truth of your political stance over the love that the Father has for that person. I know this is hard. I know. Just, just go with me. Just stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Whenever you divide yourself into an us versus then camp, you're operating under a religious spirit. Whenever you look down on a certain people group, on a certain class, you are operating under a religious spirit. It's what the Pharisees did. And, and, and they could not understand how this teacher, this prophet, this person who said that he was God, the Son of God, could understand how can you be seen with those kinds of people? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. If you want a relationship with Jesus, if you think you are righteous, you are disqualifying yourself from his intervention. I want us to be a church that, that knows that everyone, everyone is loved and accepted by the Lord. It doesn't mean that everyone's choices are right. And it doesn't mean that we lower the standard of what Scripture says to accommodate people. But we let them belong first, even if they don't believe yet. And as we let people belong first, we can teach them how to believe. 
And then over time, they will become what God has called them to be. But we don't exclude them first. We include them first so that they might get proximity to the Holy Spirit and be changed into who they're supposed to be. Do, do you follow? See, you're gonna, we, we're going to want, a church is going to want, over time, we always tend towards exclusivity. Every church. Over time, good people, good-hearted people, they tend towards exclusivity. We at VFC are going to fight to ensure that we're not that way. We're not that way. We're going to embrace people. It's no fun being around sick people. I remember taking my kids for a well appointment, and you look at the other kids like, ugh, get me away from them. They're there for a sick appointment. Put me in my little glass cage. You know, some of the places they have, like, a, this is where the well kids separate ourselves. I don't want to give any of that on me. Oh, I understand that from a, from a kid and sickness perspective, but from a spiritual perspective, that is the opposite. We go running to the mess. We go running to those who need Jesus because we got Jesus. Don't you have Jesus? You have Jesus in you? Okay, so you need to get near someone who doesn't have Jesus so that they might experience Jesus. Amen? And so your flesh likes to be strong, but I'm telling you, those that receive are those that are willing to check themselves in the hospital. Those who receive the doctor's care are, willing to the, are, are those that are willing to go and say, hey, I need help. And those that receive help from the Lord are those that are, that are willing to say, I'm weak and I need help. Amen? Amen. Last one here. Your weakness motivates the activity of God. Your purposeful weakness motivates the activity of God. How many of you want to see God move in your life? That should be a yes. Yeah, that just, I'll, I'll give you the, the answer to that one. Okay, open book test. Yes is what you should say. Anytime a preacher says, how many of you want God to move in your life, just go ahead and say yes, all right? All right. <laughs> all right, so, so your weakness motivates the activity of God. So if you want to see God move in your life, you need to learn to become weak. You need to learn to become needy. People ask me all the time, Jamie, why don't we see miracles to the degree in the United States like we see overseas? Well, because our whole culture is about insulating ourselves, being independent, and never needing anything. Why would God give us a miracle if we don't need it? The miracles of God are based on need. And our whole lives are spent towards making sure we don't need anything. So, of course, we don't see the miraculous. we, We have... We've asked the Lord to please exit the building while we take care of ourselves. The more needy you become, and not just physically needy, but, but, but spiritually, mentally, and understanding I need the Lord, the more you will see him move. Matthew 14, through 25, this is right before Jesus walks on the water. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on water. Now, I've asked this before, but why did Jesus walk on water? Because the disciples had already taken the boat. Do you think if there was a boat there, Jesus would have walked on water? Probably not. He just probably would have gotten in the boat. (laughs) I know that's really simple, but see, the need created the opportunity for the miracle. 
And if you have lived your life in such a way that you always make sure there's a boat, always make sure there's a boat, you'll never get to walk on water. Instead of planning your life around your own independence and making sure that you can control your environment to where nothing bad ever happens, congrats. Probably not much bad will happen to you. You can't control it fully, but you'll do a decent job probably, but you won't see God intervene. Because you aren't living in such a way that calls the activity of God toward you. Look, don't cover your weaknesses. Assume that when you're weak, that it's an opportunity for a miracle in your life. Assume that it's an opportunity for God to show himself strong. You're walking through life and you're thinking, man, I just can't do this. Good. Good. I agree. (laughs) I agree. Good. You are now uniquely positioned to watch the power of God move on your behalf. I want to be one. I want to be a church. I want to be a church that understands that we don't have it all together. I want to be a church that understands that we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to present ourselves to the community as some, as some sort of group that has absolutely no weakness in us whatsoever. No, I'm weak. I need the Lord. Amen. I need his power. I need his presence. I need his word. I don't know everything. And I invite you to join me in seeking the Lord as we, in our weakness, pursue him with all that we are. Amen? Here's my question for you. Are you willing to become weak so that you can walk in God's power? Are you willing to become weak? Because it's a blow to your pride. It'll be a blow to your pride. Because you want to be strong. You want to let everyone, hey, everything's good in my life. But are you willing to become weak so that you can see God's power in your life? Let's stand for prayer.